The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today I'm going to be talking about what everybody's talking about, but I hope to give a fresh perspective um, as wearing my hat as a forensic psychiatrist. That's one of, the, one of the hats that I wear. And so I have been following this, of course, from day one, um, very intently, doing a lot of research, trying to put all the puzzle pieces together. And before I try to interpret, analyze some of these puzzle pieces and try to see, see the questions that they bring up, because at least as of now, um, there aren't any clear answers, but there certainly are things that lead us down paths we should be continuing to follow. And uh, it's been frustrating to me to see, I mean, yes, of course, we're not being told everything, but it's been frustrating to me to see that a lot of misinformation has been getting out, and um, there's been a lot of protectiveness from um, friends and family of of the Lanzas, Um well, we'll talk about that more as I go on, but I want to start off by by saying, of course, that my heart goes out to all the people of Newtown. Um, it is as an unspeakable tragedy. Um, when you look at the pictures of the little children, 20 little children who were gunned down ferociously, um, it just it, it is enough to make you cry. I mean, each of them just looked like they had such promise ahead. And uh, imagine, it's just horrifying to imagine how they must have felt in those last moments seeing some guy, some you know strange, strange, frightening guy running into, jumping into, however he came, walking into their classroom and spraying bullets all over the place. Um, I, my heart goes out to them, and, and um, I really hope that this will not be in vain, that their deaths will not be in vain, because there is so much that we can learn from this. Um, you know, people are, seem to be focusing a lot on gun control. I'm not really, I'm not going to talk about that today, um, because what I, the things that I think are more important in terms of lessons for the future are looking at um, violent video games that apparently Adam Lanza was obsessed with and, um, and the stigma of mental illness, which is being perpetrated, unfortunately and inadvertently, by this whole news event. Um, and I'm going to get more into all of that. But, um, but I just wanted to first give my condolences and my sympathy and... and um, just to, to, again, 
hope that this is not going to be in vain. We need to take a lot of these things that these these what we find out from this incident seriously in terms of um, preventing them in the future. And not just you know, it's not just about um, putting more safeguards at schools. I mean, yes, you know, certainly. Um, Certainly, unfortunately, these days, um, more than ever before, uh, our society is going in the direction where we need to put um, more safeguards at schools. I mean, what do you think that that does to children trying to learn of any age? Uh, you know, when they when they are aware that their school uh, has become an armed fortress, in a sense, literally or figuratively. Um, yes, you know, you can say, well, they'll feel more protected, but it's also a distraction from learning, and it's also a sign of our times. Where has our society gone that in, what, 50 or 60 years, we're at this point that we need to protect schools, school children, in, in a much greater way than ever before? And I'm not going to really get into that much more either. Um, but I, one of the things, of course, as a psychiatrist, what I uh, look at primarily is the family. How, you know, how did this happen? Um, and we do have to look at the family. And that's what I was saying at the beginning. That's one of the, one of the frustrations because uh, I was just watching a television clip um, where four friends of Nancy Lanza were huddled <laughs> outside um, talking about her. And then there was also a clip where friends of hers from a bar were interviewed. You know, it's interesting. Um, and I'm going to be sort of bringing up these random, they may seem random, and I'm sorry that they're, you know, not more more carefully organized, but I'm taking it as they're coming from the media and, again, trying to put these puzzle pieces together. So, for example, um, one of the things that's been coming out, and no one seems to be, you know, daring to say this, but there does seem to be um, a, a a pattern or a repetition of um, alcohol in regard to Nancy. Um, there, there was this bar that has been reported on many places that Nancy frequented. Um, you know, people in the bar were talking about what a wonderful person she was and, and um, uh, how generous and so on. But she was obviously a regular at that bar. And then there's another report um, uh, talking about how she would come over to um, this kid's house. It was somebody who had gone to school with Adam. And Nancy had gone over to his house and used to have wine. He mentioned she used to have wine with his mother. That was, that was the thing that he remembered about her that he mentioned. I mean, we do have to question to look at that. You know, was alcohol a bit of a problem? Was um, raising two boys alone after her divorce a bit of a problem? And let's, why don't we start there? Because, um, well, actually, actually, be, <laughs> um, before we start there, well, I'm trying to go chronologically at least. There was, there have been denials from relatives of Adam Lanza. Um, that he attended Sandy Hook Elementary School. I mean, one of the one of the things, of course, one of the still a question is why Sandy Hook Elementary School. And of course, as you probably know, at the beginning they were saying that she was a teacher at the school, and then other teachers said they didn't know her, and then they said, well, she was a substitute teacher, and then they said she was a teacher's assistant, and then and now it doesn't seem like she's a teacher there at all. 
um, at the beginning, when it did, when the reports came out that she was a teacher, I said that I thought maybe the motive was um, that. Well, I mean, the first thing is obviously Adam was very angry at his mother. That's pretty clear. He started with her. He killed her first with shots to her head, to her face, while she lay in bed. So I don't think it's a question that he was had a lot of rage towards his mother. So when they said that she was a teacher, I thought perhaps he was jealous of the attention that she was giving to the students at Sandy Hook. And that's why he, he shot them and wanted to get rid of them so that he would have all of her attention. But it doesn't look like that's the case now, that she, that she was a teacher. So, um, I mean, I guess the only thing that could possibly make that an accurate part of the motivation would be if she perhaps did some kind of volunteer work. Maybe there was a bake sale and she provided cookies, or maybe she did volunteer every once in a while to help at that school somehow. Um, but that has that certainly, that's just my conjecture now, um, that hasn't been reported at this point. But, um, you know, her, the mother's connection with the school hasn't been described now. You know, it's, that's now that's an open question. Um, but um, certainly we we need so we need to look at where did this rage at his mother's start from and um for that we need to go back i believe to the divorce her his parents adam's parents uh divorced in 2009 let me yes an action 2008 i'm sorry um well well it, on december 9th 2008 is when his mother, Nancy Lanza, filed for divorce from her husband, Peter Lanza. Now, December 9th, 2008, could this have been an anniversary reaction? Um, it seems to me that Adam was very uh, traumatized by his parents' divorce, and he could well have blamed his mother, since, in fact, she did file for divorce, um, blamed the divorce, blamed losing his father, essentially, on her. And the fact that it was December and the shooting was in December really does raise a big red flag that perhaps that was at least a part of um, the motivation, at least in terms of, of his killing her, was concerned. Um, so they got divorced, and the father um, was living, well, they were separated first already by December 9th, 2008, and the father was living in Stamford, Connecticut, and the mother was still uh, living in Newtown, Connecticut. And um, when they, and then she, her divorce uh, filing said that the marriage has broken down irretrievably and there is no possibility of getting back together. So that's, you know, that's pretty much all we know at this point, except for the fact that there is some, there was some information reported about the divorce, um, and about their agreement in regard to the divorce. And it seems that, uh, Adam's father was, was incredibly generous to his ex-wife, to Nancy. Um, I, I, what, I, I do, uh, I'm an expert witness for all kinds of cases, civil and criminal. So amongst the civil, I've done a lot of divorce and custody cases. And I have not seen, 
um, in the 20 years that I've been doing expert witness work, I have not seen a man be this generous to his wife, particularly the wife who, fi- who files the divorce, particularly when it's the wife who files the divorce, as apparently Peter Lanzer was. Um, I will give you some examples, but the point of this is, what may, why was he feeling so guilty? I mean, it, re- it seems to reflect that he must have been feeling guilty about something to be this generous. Um, and I, uh, before I give you some examples of what he gave her, um, I want to say that, that after the divorce, uh, some years later, he did remarry. He remarried a woman who was a librarian. And uh, it seems unlikely from everything I've read and seen that he had, there's no evidence so far that's been brought out that shows that he had much contact or any contact with Adam. So, so essentially, Nancy was left alone to raise her two sons, um, and then when, huh, and then when the older son left, she was left alone to care for Adam, and we've all seen how that went. So when we come back, I'll tell you some more uh, some more things that I think have been I haven't seen people put these pieces together. So I'm trying to. Uh, trying to put the puzzle together for you and uh, see some of the red flags that we need to be looking at and to understand what happened at Sandy Hook and why. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Sandy Hook Why. 
and um, putting my forensic psychiatrist hat on and analyzing all the bits of information that um, has have been coming out in the news. I've been trying to put them together, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and uh, um, particularly because because I'm not really sure, or at least I haven't heard a lot of these things being mentioned in connection with uh, what could be what could have been the motivation for this tragic tragic killing. I was talking, of course, as a psychiatrist, I go first to the family, and I was starting to talk about the divorce, um, where his mother, um, Nancy, filed for divorce on December 9th, 2008, and I was making the point that this shooting happened in December and that it could well have been an anniversary reaction because, um, because one thing we know for sure is that he had a lot of rage at his mother, who he shot first in the head, in the face. So... Uh, she filed for divorce December 9, 2008, and the divorce was final on uh, September 23, 2009, so almost a year later. Um, the, I, and I was started talking about how um, her husband, Peter Lanza, was incredibly jealous. Je- well, that's interesting. <laughs> Slip. <laughs> I don't know if she gave him anything to be jealous of, but um, he was extremely generous. And uh, he is he is 54. Nancy is 52. Was 52. He, Peter Lanza is a tax director and vice president for taxes at GE Energy Financial Services in Stanford. Um, he worked before. Oh, you know this is interesting. He worked before. I had to, hadn't put these. <laughs> so you read the same things over and over again, and you make more and more connections. He previously worked as a senior tax manager at Ernst and Young, which is now where his. Um, where Adam's older brother is working as an accountant. So his brother followed in the footsteps of his father. Interesting. Um, so anyhow, uh, at the time of the divorce, Peter, the father, was earning $8,556 a week. And he agreed to pay uh, alimony of 240000 with increases each year. So in other words... He is agreed to pay approximately half of his salary to his wife. Now, uh, they were married for 17 years, and there are certain, you know, rules uh, in regard to family law and, and uh, you know, what, what alimony is supposed to be. And, of course, there was child support and so on. But, but um, this really... Um, this really is a lot of money. I mean, this is not um, the typical kind of payment. In addition, he um, divided their nine-game season ticket plan for the Boston Red Sox um, fairly equally. They trans- he transferred ownership of their, essentially, a mansion um, to Nancy. And um, the, the um, uh, custody was, let's see, they, they were given joint legal custody um, but primary custody was given to the mother as far as where she lived. And, and um, oh, it also the father agreed to pay the entire court cost of his son's college and graduate school education and to provide a car for Adam. Um, I mean, this is like overkill. Um, and, and you have to wonder why, you know, what he was feeling guilty about, why he felt that he had to provide this much. I mean, you could say, well, maybe he was just a generous man. But as I said before the break, 
In my 20 years of experience of um, being an expert witness, including in a lot of divorce and custody cases, this is very, very unusual. So, um, so what happened after that? After that, um, after the divorce, Nancy was left to raise her two sons by herself. And um, even though that she they, she was well cared for, or they were well cared for, still she the primary responsibility was with her. And then his oldest brother, um, Ryan, became an accountant and well went to school, went to, left home and went to college soon after the divorce, and um, and left his mother and Adam home alone. And um, what ha- what seems to have happened in this void that there was is that Adam became, and perhaps he started before the divorce, it's likely that he started before the divorce. I mean, there were problems in the marriage reportedly way before the divorce and, and the separation before she filed the divorce. So for several years, um, there, were, there were problems. And, um, and so in, in families like that, it is very common for this void, this, in dysfunctional families, in other words, it's very common for, for the void to be filled by children, I mean particularly little boys, uh, to become to become obsessed or addicted to violent video games. And um, so far, that's what the reports have seemed to have borne out. And I said that from the minute I heard the first reports about what had happened. Why? Because it, the reports were that uh, he killed his mother by shooting her in the head. And then the reports eventually came out. Um, about how the little children were shot multiple times. And that is typical of someone who practices shooting on violent video games. So, talking about guns and shooting, let's look at that. Um, Why did this mother, why did Nancy, have all these guns in her house? And, you know, it's interesting. Um, In this interview I was referring to where there were the four friends who one of them said they were asked about whether she would be the type of mother who would leave the guns uh, accessible. Oh, no, no, she wouldn't do that. Well, <laughs> somehow um, Adam managed to get to them. And besides, before that, um, it has been reported, numerous sources have reported, that um, he went and she condoned his going to um, shooting ranges, to practice shooting ranges. And um, there have been various reports about why she had the guns and why she took them to the shooting ranges. I mean, from why she had the guns, of course, the people who are trying to protect her image are saying, well, she was a single woman living in this big house by the woods. Okay. Um, but uh, then, then all some other people have reported uh, that she was a doomsday prepper and that she had the guns uh, as part of her her plan to be a survivalist when the economy went bad. I mean, that was kind of specific about when the economy went bad, so that person seems like they may have known something. Um, and then, you know, why would you take... The, the whole idea is why did this mother... So the bottom line to this is why would this mother, who I'm not doubting that she loved her children, but why would she not make sure that Adam, in particular, was in intensive psychiatric treatment. Why would she, did she think that she could protect him with her guns and with her devotion? I mean, why was he not in, and by intensive psychiatric treatment, I mean 
seeing a psychiatrist at least once a week for psychotherapy and the appropriate medication. And we'll get into diagnoses and so on um, in a bit. But, but how could she have just left him at home and, and taken him to gun ranges, shooting ranges, instead of taking him to a psychiatrist on a regular basis? From the time he was you know, very young, I'm talking about before the divorce, I mean, it seems like he must have been evaluated by some mental health professional because the brother um, said that he had the diagnoses of um, an autism-type disorder, which has later been identified as Asperger's, and a personality disorder. So I'll, I'll talk about all that. But I guess staying with the mother for a bit, um, why would she... Why would she not um, wish in denial about how much treatment he needed? Um, I mean, it seemed he was apparently he was homeschooled early on in his schooling, uh, which I'm always against homeschooling for countless reasons. Um, for one, I mean, one of the reasons is because it doesn't allow a child to uh, become socialized with other children. And if you have autism or Asperger's, that's part of your problem altogether for communication and forming relationships and, and so on. And um, it, I, I'm sure that there are, I don't know, there was some reports about her being angry at the school, and it's not clear whether it's Sandy Hook or whether it was her high, his high school or which school, but she, there were reports about her having been angry at their plan for him. Perhaps it was Sandy Hook. Um, and and that's why he's you know and that's why he chose Sandy Hook as the place to shoot, uh, to shoot up, to shoot at. Um, we we don't know that, but but uh, it just seems just impossible to believe that that she spent her time you know and oh and one of these friends said that the reason why she took wanted Adam to um, to shoot or to learn about guns was to teach him responsibility for guns. And, and this friend said, apparently not realizing what he was saying, he said he took to it. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> and then he said, well, being careful with the guns. I mean, seriously. Um, and then the doomsday idea, if that's true, and apparently studies show that one out of ten Americans believe, uh, well, I mean, there's doomsday December 21st, and then there's the doomsday bef- aside from people believing that, December 21st is going to be the end of the world, which I don't believe, by the way. Um, so, so doomsday, if it was true that she was a doomsday prepper, um, and in general, she bought, started buying the guns in 2010, so it was before all of this about, I don't think it just had to do with uh, December 21st. So what kind, of, what kind of idea is that communicating to a child if you believe that somewhere down the line doomsday is going to come and you have to protect yourself by having these guns? Perhaps he had this delusion that um, he was protecting all these little kids from doomsday. He was shooting them to protect them from the end of the world. I mean, we, you know, perhaps we will find that out at some point. Uh, perhaps there are things in his computers that he smashed that relate to that. Um, again, these are all fragments of things that have been reported in connection to the Sandy Hook shooting that I am trying to put together for you and, and just raise the red flags because these are not things that are necessarily, well, they ha- for the most part, they haven't been put together um, in the reports that, that I have been seeing. I haven't, I haven't seen this, because, partly, largely because people are trying to be so protective of, <clears throat> of the family 
um, Nancy and the father and the brother. Oh, yes, the brother. Um, it was not by coincidence or accident that Adam was carrying his brother's ID. Clearly, he was angry at his brother, his brother who admitted that he hadn't seen Adam in, um, since 2010. Since 2010, interestingly, that's when the mother started buying the guns. Um, what kind of brother is that, especially when you know that your brother has psychological problems? How do you not see him for two years or a year and a half? We'll, we'll be back with more fragments as, as I put on my expert witness hat. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Do you find yourself tearing pictures of rooms out of magazines? Do you watch certain movies and TV programs because of the homes they show? Are Sundays reserved for open houses? Then you are a home dreamer, and someday you will build or renovate your dream home. Steve Clip has spent three decades learning how to win at the dream home game. His show, Winning the Dream Home Race, can be heard every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Let Steve Clip help save you money and make you a winner. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking about Sandy Hook Why. And uh, I've been going through fragments of information that's been coming out, trying to point out the red flags, things that you need to think about um, as we or you may as you're trying to everyone's trying to put this figure out this mystery why. Um, so here are some things that aren't really being discussed that you should think about. So what something that just came out uh, just now um, in called it's a it's an article called classmate Remem- remembers adam lanza attending sandy hook um, apparently adam apparently adam did attend the school in 2002 so the article says despite denials from relatives who said adam lanza never attended sandy hook elementary school lanza apparently attended the school in 5th grade in fall 2002 um, 
now and and the way that they can prove it this is so cool because I say cool because again denials from relatives we're not going to get anywhere if we're going to just try to believe the relatives who are trying to protect their own story um, there were apparently t-shirts um, made by the school and the t-shirt um, says 2003 but he actually went to uh, the school in fifth grade in fall 2002 before moving in January in 2003 to a newly built Reed Intermediate School for fifth and sixth graders. So the school made this T-shirt and gave it to each student. And this student who now is quoted in this article, Dan Lynch, um, remembers uh, Adam and um, and apparently had the T-shirt, at least I'm assuming that's where they got the... This is in USA Today, and I'm assuming this is where they got the T-shirt from. Fifth-grade classmate Dan Lynch, now a junior at the University of Connecticut, remembers Lanza at Sandy Hook School. Quote, I was in class with him in fifth grade, and he was extremely introverted, unquote, Lynch says. Quote, he was really skittish, always anxious and nervous, unquote. Now, here's the, here's the thing that's really interesting. Lynch says he remembers watching a sex education movie and Lanza saying he was about to throw up and needed to leave the room. Now, why did he need to throw up? Why was this so repulsive to him? Now, you, it could be part of whatever psychiatric diagnoses he may have or have had, but it could reflect sexual abuse, his having been sexually abused. Now, I'm going to take a wild leap here, but again, this is, you know, as, a, as an expert witness, you have to look for all these clues and red flags, and you have to put, have hypotheses, and then, of course, you know, of course, you have to prove them, I mean, or see if there is support for these hypotheses, but the first thing that that brought to my mind is, here he throws up after seeing a sex ed movie, it obviously repulsed him or made him feel incredibly anxious um, and and here the father is giving all this money and other perks to the mother in their divorce without much difficulty, according to reports about the divorce, that he amicably gave her that. So, as I said before, uh, that would seem to indicate, or at least in my experience, whenever that, that's very rare, and to the extent that that happens, that a father is more generous, it most, uh, or unusually generous, it usually has to do with... Um, his feeling guilty for something, you know, perhaps he had an affair, or perhaps he felt guilty leaving the two boys with their mother, or perhaps um, he sexually abused Adam, or he wasn't protecting Adam when Adam was sexually abused by a neighbor or somebody. Um, you know, he would have been vulnerable to abuse, actually. So it's just something, something it's another piece of the puzzle. So let's talk about the diagnoses. Um, so Adam's brother had said that, uh, as I was saying before, he said that he had been diagnosed as uh, having a form of aut autism, which we later have heard that the has been called, or that the mother, the mother told a friend, for example, that it was Asperger's, uh, which is a high functioning type of as of autism. Uh, it's got some different aspects to it, but essentially one can think of it as a high functioning type of autism. Uh, particularly now since the new DSM, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, is going to include Asperger's under autism spectrum disorders. Okay, now typically um, children 
or people who are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders do not go out and become mass murderers. And this is where the whole stereotyping um, issue gets me very concerned, because especially since there are there are there is an increasing number of children who are being born born autistic, and um, again, you know, that's a whole seems to be a whole cover up as to we haven't gotten to the root of why that is. Uh, you know, the debate about whether it's a vaccine, something in the vaccine, toxins. Um, uh, environmental toxins or what. I mean, there's something that's causing this to happen, and, and for some reason it hasn't yet been uh, found out or, or acknowledged. Um, but in any case, there are many more children being born these days with autism, and, um, and to now have this in, in the collective unconscious that someone who is autistic has the potential to become a mass murderer would be very unfortunate. In fact, typically the kinds of symptoms that ha- that people have with autism would go against um, their becoming mass murderers. So the brother also said that um, he that Adam had been diagnosed as having a personality disorder. Well, there are numerous personality disorders. You know, if he was uh, a dependent personality, it's unlikely that, I mean, people with dependent personalities don't become uh, mass murderers, uh, or you can't really find a, uh, I mean, I mean, it wouldn't be their disorder that would be causing them to become a mass murderer. Um, but there is antisocial personality disorder. You know, that seems like it could be a more likely uh, part of the puzzle, part of his diagnosis. Or there's paranoid personality disorder, perhaps that could figure in. Um, and there's schizotypal and schizoid personality disorders, which are essentially a, a, a not a full-blown diagnosis of schizophrenia. But now Adam was 20 years old, and schizophrenia typically begins, there is childhood schizophrenia, it can begin in childhood, but the most typical ages that schizophrenia begins is in the early 20s. So he was 20. So it could well be that he, his schizophrenia, a real psychosis, you know, that the, that the um, underlying genetic predisposition to schizophrenia uh, was, was finally manifesting itself. And perhaps he was having command hallucinations that were telling him to shoot little children um, or telling him for some specific reason to shoot the little children at Sandy Hook. Now, now that we know that he did, in fact, attend Sandy Hook, perhaps there was something bad that happened there. Perhaps, in fact, he, the sexual, you know, he saw that sex ed movie there. Perhaps he was, well, I'd hate to, I had to imply that, but perhaps during the time that he was at Sandy Hook, um, in some other place, uh, he was being sexually abused, and he associates it with Sandy Hook, or he associates it with Sandy Hook because this movie, this sex ed movie, was shown at Sandy Hook, and that was incredibly upsetting to him. So, um, so, so if in fact he was beginning to manifest uh, the signs of schizophrenia, you know that would that would be more um, likely. That, that, that would be a more likely explanation. I mean, that would be a more serious diagnosis that if he were having, as I said, command hallucinations or he was delusional, um, that, that, um, these, 
these command hallucinations or delusions could have told him, could have been connected, directed him to, um, to finally committing these murders. Um, but again, most people, <laughs> I don't want to contribute to the stereotyping, because most people who are schizophrenic or any of the diagnoses that I mentioned, or mentally ill for that matter, uh, most people who have these mental illnesses do not become mass murderers. Um, it is a... It, it all stems, it, regardless of what, whether they have mental illness or not, it all stems back to the family dynamics, which is why I started with that and, and talking about all of the dysfunction in that family that, doesn't, that people don't seem to want to talk about uh, in the media, um, in the, in the, in the uh, general media, uh, mainstream media. Um, so... So, you know, there are, I, I know because I've been contacted by um, people who have um, children of various ages uh, with different kinds of psychiatric diagnoses uh, who are now very upset because of the stigma that has been added. It's already, you know, mental illness um, already has enough of a stigma, but, but now with this uh, occupying the nation's attention, um, there's been more of a stigma that's that's been created uh, with the idea of anyone who has mental illness possibly going into a school or, or becoming a mass murderer of some type, and that's very unfortunate. Now, what this does say, however, is that we do need to have um, better access and better psychiatric treatment. Um, there is between insurance companies and Obamacare, um, insurance companies have already made it so that many psychiatrists uh, have stopped doing psychiatry, have stopped doing what they normally did, which was um, to provide psychotherapy to patients, and if the patient needed medication, they also gave them medication. But because of the billing, the, the um, lack of reimbursement, for spending a longer time with a patient, many psychiatrists have um, opted to just do or to primarily do, uh, in order to keep paying their mortgage, um, med, med, what they call med visits. I say they because I do not do med visits. I, I will not do my med visits. Med visits are incredibly dangerous. Um, I, they have in, increased my... Uh, my expert witness practice because there have been in the last five years or so there has been an incredible increase in the number of malpractice cases against psychiatrists and against uh, hospitals for psychiatrists primarily for uh, doing med visits seeing patients once a month for for twenty to thirty minutes or once every two or three months and in between the patients get into a lot of trouble either committing suicide or homicide or, or doing various things in between that they wouldn't have done had they been in weekly psychotherapy and getting medication if they had needed it. So um, we do need to take a break, but I will continue with what's wrong with the mental health system when we come back and how we can prevent tragedies like this. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, Tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you about Sandy Hook Why. Um, before the break, I was talking about the problems with our mental health system and um, mentioning about how people aren't getting the appropriate psychiatric treatment that they need, particularly uh, Adam Lanza, who was even was seen to was known to have have some psychiatric problems from a young age, um, and as I was saying, may have been developing some more serious problems more recently. Uh, that that may have been manifesting itself. But um, even people in his high school class noticed that he was, well, all, all anybody who met him, quite frankly, noticed that there was something wrong with him, even if they didn't know exactly the diagnosis. But, um, for example, there's somebody who remembered him from sixth grade, remembered Adam from sixth grade, and she remembers him talking about aliens and blowing things up. Um, and people in his high school and other people who knew him, you know, it's a lot of the original, um, or a lot of, even now, a lot of the coverage is, oh, we, we never would have imagined that. He was such a sweet, shy, introverted kid. But, you know, um, in fact, there were some people who, who are saying they weren't surprised because of how his strange behaviors all along. Um, and why, again, this comes back to the question of why wasn't he in intensive treatment from the very, from, from, you know, two or three or four years old, from five years old, well, from the very first time that they noticed that there was some problem, um, that he was having. Because the sooner 
And autism is a developmental disorder. It's not really a mental illness. But from the minute that you see that your child has any kind of disorder, um, you need to get them into intensive treatment. The sooner you get them into treatment and the more intensive the treatment, the better the chances that the child won't develop um, more, bigger problems as they get older. So... Um, Another thing that I want to talk about. So, well, let me just finish with. So, so because there are there the mental health treatment is not really adequate because of of um, the system of of payment and and the system that's kind of come to expect that psychiatrists just give medication and and social workers and psychologists and marriage and family counselors, all of which all of whom have less training, um, particularly with uh, serious mental illness than psychiatrists, um, they are left to do the psychotherapy. And then, you know, when you separate that out, that one person does therapy and one person does medication, the, the two people don't generally talk to each other. The psychiatrist giving the medication and, and the uh, other mental health professional doing the therapy, there is generally a lack of, co- of connection between the two. And so the therapy gets disjointed and the person suffers. And, um, and of course, don't, don't even start... <laughs> I won't even start on um, saying how ridiculous it is to be getting uh, any kind of psychiatric medication from a non-psychiatrist, from, a, from an internist or a family doctor who has not been trained, who has not gone to, to four years or three years of psychiatric residency to learn um, the details about all of the medications and diagnoses and everything else. Um, I, I do want to mention some other, and I, was, I think I started to say that I will not do that. Anybody who comes to see me as a patient has to come every week, and they get psychotherapy, whether they want it or not. <laughs> no. They get psychotherapy, and if they need medication, because not everybody who sees me needs medication, but if somebody does, I also prescribe medication. Um, but you cannot have one without the other. And it's interesting how there have been conflicting reports about whether or not Adam was on medication. Today there was a report that, no, he wasn't. Well, you know, there were people before, or at least one person, who said that he was, and so the likelihood is that he at one time was on medication and maybe he stopped taking it. Um, Okay, another thing I want to make sure I mention is the survivor guilt that all of the children and teachers and families of the children who survived will have. That is, I mean, besides the post-traumatic stress disorder that the, that the children and the, um, and the families and the teachers and the staff are going to most likely have after this incident, um, there is also a tremendous amount of survivor guilt that they will have to be dealing with. Um, and that, that's, you know, I mean, yes, of course, they're all happy. You know, the, the parents, for example, of the kids who survived are thrilled, but um, there's also a kind, especially since the town is obviously so close and caring, there's, there's a tremendous degree of survivor guilt that they will all be feeling and they'll have to deal with. Of course, I guess I should say this, is, this might be a good time to mention that the children should be put into therapy, um, grieving groups, groups of, of um uh, group therapy where they, small groups of children, um, where they can grieve together to help them grieve, and then individual, uh, therapy for the children who seem to be, uh, to already be suffering from, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, um, they need to be in weekly therapy. They, you know, it's, 
I hesitate to give children medication, but um, they may may need that. We'll have to see. I, I'm not such a proponent of that. I think if they're in intense enough psychotherapy, they'll be able to get through this without medication. And then, of course, the parents. The parents of the children who died in particular um, may well need to be in therapy, especially if they have other children who they need to care for and to be a whole parent um, in order to be able to take care of these other children. Um, oh, there's so much more to say, and I know we're running out of time. Um, how, do, how do parents talk to children about this? Or how are children going to be affected by this? Um, even if you weren't at the school, um, but if you watch a lot of this coverage, there's a chance that you, too, as a witness, will may start um, uh, coming down with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so, but children should not be allowed to watch this on television and even to listen to it on the radio. Um, yes, of course, they're going to hear about it from their friends, and um, they have all kinds of, you know, many of them have computers in their room, and they, yes, they could find out all about this. But you need to, and you need to answer their questions about it. But you should try to protect them from um, physic, from uh, seeing it, from witnessing it witnessing all of the reports about it, the, ch- the funerals and the children crying and so on. Um, you can't lie about it. Obviously, you shouldn't lie about what went on, but you should talk about how, yes, there are some bad people or people with problems. Um, obviously, he hated his life, and um, he had problems, known problems, and you could talk about how people need to, children need to be in treatment or, or anybody who has problems need to be in treatment and to talk about how your children should come to you with their problems or questions and you can answer them um, and get them help if they need help. Um, And then also talk about all the good people, all the heroes of this story. Uh, There were a lot of them. There are a lot of them. The teachers, the teachers whose lives were lost, the teachers um, uh, were running out of time that quickly. Well, I want to put in, uh, I definitely want to say um, that, and, and many of you have heard me talk about this before, the danger of violent video games. If you are a parent or you are someone who has violent video games in your house, throw them out today. That is the best memorial, the best tribute that you can do to these children and these people um, who died uh, is to get rid of your violent video games. Because, you know, as much as people want to deny it, um, that is, it's countless studies have proven over the years that, in fact, that the more violent video games you, you consume, the more aggressive you become. And not all of you are going to become, or not all children are going to become mass murderers, but they are going to become more aggressive in various ways, and we don't need that in our world. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com.
The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.